Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this part of the service. Jonathan, thank you so much for that story. Um, Jesus does ask us to love like a little child. And sometimes us educated adults forget that. I would be interested this morning in knowing what all of you, what this season, this Thanksgiving season, what this means to you, what you think of when, when you think of, of this. Um, I think many of us, we think of, I think for most of us probably, there's some, some sort of, you know, lots of food and family, some, some mixture of that, maybe some traveling. Um, and this, this weekend actually is the most traveled weekend of the year in, in our country here. Um, there are more people driving and flying than any other time of the year. And traditionally, it's a, not only in our circles, but in, in our country, it is a time of families connecting. And a part of our American tradition is when, we, when people get together, we, we have food. Um, we, our country has made this, a, this Thanksgiving a national holiday. It is every fourth uh, Thursday of November, and I, uh, I think we need to appreciate that. I think we need to value that, and I, I, I thought so, especially as I prepared for this, and then just this morning, I, I uh, saw on a news feed that here in southern Indiana, the city of Bloomington, where... Indiana University's at. I guess they are educated and enlightened, but they have chosen to rename Good Friday and Columbus Day because Good Friday and Columbus Day might be offensive. The names might be offensive to um, certain certain people. Uh, so and and. There's been other, there's other places where that has been, uh, there's been an agenda to do that. As far as I know at this point, the city of Bloomington is the only place where they have actually done that. They've called it um, spring holiday and fall holiday. Easter, or uh, Good Friday is now spring holiday and Columbus Day is, is fall holiday. The idea on, on Columbus Day there is that um, by celebrating Columbus's discovery of the new land, we are, we are accepting or we are okay with, with the brutal way that the white people use the Native Americans. Um, so therefore, we'll rename it something else. Um, be what it is, but the idea that, that we need to find uh, that we need to rename holidays or find names that are not offensive to someone, 
we'll probably see more of that. And Thanksgiving Day, while it is a big American holiday, it is, it's maybe not quite as Christian as Good Friday or Easter, but I do believe that as Christian people, we should, this is one holiday that we should, um, it's good, I think, to, to take time to recognize and just set aside some time to be thankful. This holiday is, is there's lots of, of American history that goes with it, and I enjoy history, and, and uh, I think most of us are familiar with the story of the pilgrims, how they landed, and, and uh, uh, a year later, they had the first Thanksgiving, and this is debatable. There's groups that argue about that because there's other places in the country where um, early colonies like that would have had a, a day dedicated every year for a time of Thanksgiving. So, but we do know, it is well documented, that these people, Puritans from England, they came over, and I think we need to take a lesson from them because I do believe they really were thankful. And if we think a little bit about their journey from England here, it took 66 days, and when they arrived here, it was late in the summer, late in the fall, they arrived much further north than they intended to, so the weather was cold, and they ended up spending that winter basically on the ship. The following spring, there was only about half of the approximately 110, 120 people left. That many people died from, from sickness and disease. However, they planted some crops that summer, and the following fall, they, they had a harvest, and they had a, as tradition holds it, they had a, time, they had a feast with the local Indians. But what really caught my attention was a letter that was written back to a friend in England, it was written by a man named Edward Winslow, and he says this, And God be praised, we had a good increase. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might, after a special manner, rejoice together. On fowling, he means they went goose hunting or duck hunting or turkey or don't know what it was, but and then he continues, These things I thought good to let you understand, that you might on our behalf give God thanks who hath dealt so favorably with us. So this is the testimony. They, they were thankful people. After they had barely survived, all of them, I'm sure all of them, had lost husbands, wives, sons, and daughters, um, and yet they were grateful. And I think that leaves an example um, for us to, to, to be grateful for, for the things that we have. Well, this, uh, that, the time of the pilgrims, that would have been in the early 1600s. There would have been days of, annual days of Thanksgiving throughout early American history. After the Revolutionary War, the first several presidents declared a national day of Thanksgiving. 
However, it was something they would always do annually. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a holiday that was, that was um, set for a certain date every year. This kind of fell by the way in the early 1800s, and later Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of the Civil War, as a way of, of trying to bring unity in 1863, he declared a national day of Thanksgiving again, um, again, just for one year, and they did that all the way up to 1939, when Roosevelt did that, um, and then Congress, I think, Right around that time, they, they made this a national holiday that we celebrate every year. <clears throat> so I think as, as Christian people, I, I think it is a good practice for us to, to take some time and to reflect on, on what God has done for us. So as I, as I pondered this and as I, as I reflected on the history of Thanksgiving, as I, as I considered, well, how do, we, how do we relate to this today and, and how does this affect us? And is it simply just a day where we get together and we enjoy turkey and good fellowship? Um, this scripture came to mind. And I'm taking it a little bit out of context, but I think it applies. Deuteronomy 6, and the writer's talking about being obedient to God's commandments. He says this, So shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so this scripture came to mind and I thought, well... If there's ever a time in history when there's been a generation that is reaping where we haven't sown, it would surely be us. Especially when you contrast where we're at today, 400 years, almost 400 years after the first pilgrims celebrating their first Thanksgiving. If you consider what they found when they came here and what they had and what we have today, we certainly have many, many things that we haven't built, that we haven't bought. Um, there's material things. There's just, just, just think, just think a bit of of all the infrastructure. Um, for an example, our means of traveling. Just think of, of um, technology and all these things that, that build onto each other that no one of us, no one of us could do by ourselves. That if we, if we landed where the pilgrims did today with what they had today, 
with what they had then, there's no way that in our lifetime we could build what we have today. We, we're relying on, we're, we're living our life today uh, using things that, reaping the benefit of things that those before us have learned and, and built and done. Secondly, with that, is we're living in an age of church history that has never before happened. Never before in the history of the church has there been such a long period of time when there is no persecution. And when, when people are free to worship and, and we have, we're, we're free to travel. Um, you know, an example of that is just, you know, Austin's going to Myanmar. I mean, literally on the other side of the globe. And we, we can go there. Yeah, that's kind of a big trip today, but, um, you know, even 50 years ago, for sure 100 years ago, just would not have been possible, let alone 200 to 300 years ago. We have more written material. Um, we have, um, if we think of the age of, or in the church, more, uh, more, we have more fellowship, more interaction, more, we're not, we're not an isolated little pocket of people here. We have, you know, just last Sunday, James was in Pennsylvania, and we have connections with, with people um, that before in history was pretty much impossible. Much of this is, is beneficial for us, is useful for us. We, we build relationships, and, and we have, you know, Levon and Beth living in Myanmar, and we were able to go visit them, and we can... We can send them emails and we can stay connected with them. We, we have, you know, we, we can learn things. We can, um, with all the books and the age of the internet and, and all that. And so as I reflected on this, I thought of what the writer continues with here. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God is aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So, as I considered where we're at this morning, and I wondered... Is it easy for us to forget God this morning? Do you think it's easier for us or is it easier for the pilgrims to forget God this morning? I'm thinking it's probably going to be much easier for us to think to forget about God than it was for the pilgrims. We can exist, we can live without God in our society today. And, and unfortunately, many people do. Now, I don't think that God is necessarily going to come and, and literally wipe us off of the face of the earth if we forget Him. But 
what does Jesus say will happen if we, if we forget him? And I had to think, I, I thought of, where am I going here? Of this scripture in Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, if, if we forget what, who we are and what God has done for us, we will end up being just like those around us. We'll be, we're, we're, like that, we're like that frog that you put in the pot of cold water and you turn the heat on. And we forget what we have, unless we take some time to stop and consider and intentionally think about what we have and what God has done for us. So this morning, I'd like to look at five things as we consider just simply living a life of gratefulness, being grateful for, for what God has done for us. And, and obviously, first of all, that includes you know, his plan of salvation. But I'd like to think of, of how we live our lives today. And the first thing that I'd like to recognize with is simply that God owns it all. The things that we have, God has created them. Turn to the first verse in the scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is, I think most of us understand that, and yet sometimes I wonder how well we really live that. I wonder if we understand it the way Job did. This is the first chapter of Job, right after he'd received the news that everything he had had been taken away from him. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice, Job is still praising God. Job is still having a day of thanksgiving. No turkey, no dressing, but Job has a day of thanksgiving. And it says, in all this, Job did not sin. So Job recognized who he was inside of God. Another scripture in Psalms, and, and Psalms is, is full of, of praises from, from David, but just um, recognition to the earth is... The, David gives a lot of recognition about God being creating and, and, and 
being the creator of, of the universe. One example here in Psalms 24, verse 1, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. <clears throat> One more scripture in Colossians. He is the image, this is speaking of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, <clears throat> visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Without him there is nothing. We have nothing. We have, we have no means, we have no power by with to create something. Oh yeah, we can build, we can build wonderful, amazing things that humans have built. Beautiful structures and all kinds of architect that is just amazing. But we're simply using God's materials. We're simply stewards of the things that he's given to us. <clears throat> you know, life itself just simply teaches us this. If we, uh, if we consider for a little bit how we come into the world and how we leave, um, <clears throat> you know, I think most of us for sure, most of us parents, we remember our, our children being born. And uh, I had to just reflect on that a little bit as, as a newborn. You know, they have nothing. If it would not be for the kindness of, of the parents and, and the midwife, those helping, the baby wouldn't live. And when we die... We leave everything. We leave with nothing. You know, one of the things that I've never seen is a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. It just, just doesn't happen. <clears throat> John D. Rockefeller lived from 1839 to 1937. Some of you might recognize the name. He was a one of the um, first to really make uh, his wealth in the oil industry and was the first American to become a billionaire. Um, very involved, in he, he, uh, as part of his oil business, he, he controlled huge amounts of the of the rail industry because that's how the oil that's how they transported the oil back in the late 1800s and and uh, very likely to this date the wealthiest ma wealthiest man on the planet as far as US dollars even today um, if you would adjust his wealth for inflation it would be somewhere in the mid 300 billions. Um, I'm not quite sure that's a little bit above my comprehension, but just to give you an idea, Bill Gates today is roughly worth about 75 billion. 
and he's considered the wealthiest man in the country at this time. So, at that time, he, he controlled 2% of the GDP of the United States. So, I'm not... What, Sam? It is, yeah. I'm not quite sure if that means anything or not, but he was, he was <laughs> very, very rich. And here's what I want to say with that. After he died, somebody asked the question, well, how much money did John leave? All of it. He left all of it. He couldn't take any of it with him, and I, he was a Christian. I don't think, he, I don't think that was his goal, but it um, doesn't matter how much you have. It all stays here. Number two. Every day is a gift. We are not promised tomorrow. I think, uh, as Sam shared, we, we're reminded of that every day. Um, if, maybe not every day, personally, like you shared, Sam, but a um, young man in our community Thursday evening um, lost his life in a bicycle accident. And, you know, just... Life is short, and we are not we are not promised we are not promised another chance tomorrow to 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 repent or to if if we are Christians to to do those to give thanks and to to tell our families and those that we love them. Uh, Jesus speaks about that some. This is in Matthew 25, there when, when the uh, ten virgins were waiting on the bridegroom. And the bridegroom comes back and five of them discover that they have no oil. And he says, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus tells them, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in when the Son of Man is coming. Speaking of his second return. Now, in the beginning of that parable, what he says is that, as in many parables, this is like the kingdom of heaven. This story that I'm going to tell you, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. And then he gives them this story and he says, Watch, for we do not know when the Son of Man is coming. <clears throat> Again, in, in Mark chapter 13, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. 
Jesus is telling us to, to be watching for his return. This is, we are a part of the kingdom of heaven, and what he has told us is that he will come again, but we don't know when. And as a part of his bride, we want to be prepared to, to meet him. One more scripture in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. This is just after Paul had, had explained how that Jesus had been a ransom for us in chapter 5. And he says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and here he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah had prophesied of this time that Paul is speaking of, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul says, now behold, now is the accepted time, the accepted time that Isaiah had been speaking of. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation that we need to make sure that we are a part of the kingdom of God. If we are a part of the kingdom of God, use today to reach out to your neighbor. How about the, the, uh, your neighbor or somebody that you might know that doesn't know Christ? Tomorrow might be too late. I had to think of, uh, I had to think of, of uh, Irvin Stacy, an old man that stops in at Ramco a lot, and uh, he, uh, he openly professes not to believe in God, and he's, I've known him for quite a while. We uh, put a roof on his house about 15 years ago, and that's how we learned to know him, and uh, he He's, he's a very lonely man. His wife passed away about six or eight months ago. And so, not quite every day, but almost every day. And it gets a little old. I just, you know, my flesh. Uh, here he is, and we're answering the phone. We're talking. There's people in there, and things are happening. And, and he wants to come, and, and he wants to sit down and, and talk. Or, you know, just, just be there. And, but the man has a soul. And I have, I have tried to uh, see him in, in that light, as the old man is, like Jonathan shared. And... Uh, We've we've had a few conversations. Every time that every every time that the subject gets a little close to religion, then it's it's he has an appointment somewhere else, and he uh, he doesn't want to talk about it. He basically, but for those of us who are who have received Christ and who are in the kingdom. Today is the day. We need to reach out to those people. And some of those people, they may not accept 
Jesus. They may not, they may never receive, but we need to, we need to let them know that we care and be the salt that Jesus talked about. That's, that's what the salt is. Or how about simply just using today to, to you know, bless someone you know, you know, give a word of appreciation, give a word of, of, of thanks to, you know, someone that, a family member or, you know, um, just remember, today, today is a gift. Number three, if we're living as grateful people, there's action required. A grateful person, I'm convinced, will be doing something. Um, a grateful person, first of all, they, they're recognizing what they have received. They recognize that God has been grateful to them, or God has been merciful to them, and that is why they are uh, grateful. And when I think of, of, of love and of mercy being extended and of that being, of, of action being required of that, I think, I thought of this verse right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, Jesus makes it clear in, in the rest of the Gospels that if we are not loving our brother, the Apostle John writes about it in the Epistles, how we relate, how we relate with each other is a direct reflection on how we are relating with God. And so we cannot sit here as isolated little islands and say that we are so grateful and we are very blessed and we're grateful people and not be a part of other people. If we're living grateful lives, we will be involved in, in, in our communities, we'll be involved and we'll be engaged at work, we'll be involved in, and engaged at home and at church and school, whatever, wherever we're at, there will be, because we are grateful, there will be, and our lives are filled with gratitude, something will have to come out. We cannot, we cannot be, the opposite of that is, is selfishness. And, and that's what curls up back in the corner and says that um, I have nothing to give. And, and we're focusing on ourselves. <clears throat> James also writes about this. And he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we're only hearers, we're deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And so what he's saying is if we're only hearers, we're like the man who gets up in the morning and his hair's all messed and he has two days worth of stubble and he needs to shave and he looks in the mirror and he sees that and he says, oh, that's, that's not good. And he turns around and goes to work and forgets about what he's looking like and didn't do him any good at all to look in the mirror. And so if we're hearers only and we're not doing, 
That's what we're like. It's what James goes on to say. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So here again, there's, what's he saying? Visiting the orphans and the widows. Now, we know there's more than that, but that action, something's happening. You see, we cannot be faithful people and faith is an action word. We cannot be faithful people and not do something. I love the story of a uh, young entrepreneur that became his business grew and he became fairly successful and, and uh, he hired more people and they built more locations and and uh, before long, his, his company, he had locations in several states, and they began to consider whether they, should, whether they should move to Europe. They thought that for their product, it would be good if they could uh, have a location in Europe somewhere. And so they, the leadership team, they, they had some meetings, and they figured out that they thought that would be a good move for their company. And so the... the entrepreneur, which is now a little older, he, he decides, they consider, and they decide that the stateside business is doing well, that, that he will leave that in charge of his vice president, and he will travel to Europe, and he will, he will personally oversee the expansion in Europe. The agreement was that while he is gone, he would, he would, he would write them some letters, and he would continue to give them some instruction. And so they did that, and he goes, and it takes six, eight months. He's gone for a while, and he, he writes them their letters and, and uh, comes back. And, of course, next morning, first order of business is he goes and sees, sees the, uh, he travels down to his office, and, and uh, communication had been good, and so he was expecting to see good things, and and imagine his surprise when he pulls up in the parking lot and he sees the parking lot's kind of dirty and, and uh, back around on the warehouse, the one building is, the, the one window's broken in and the open sign is kind of lopsided. And so he goes in and, and opens the door, walks in and sees that the carpet and the foyer there is dirty and kind of mud-stained and the secretary's sitting over here and she's, chewing gum and she's got some big headphones on and she's, she's obviously not engaged at work and, and so he walks on in and sees in the lobby that man the wastebaskets are all full and, and uh, there's people in there playing cards and they're having a good time and so he goes on down to his vice president's office and, and he's so glad to see him and they uh, he's all excited about having him back and, and uh, so the Entrepreneur asks, so did you, uh, did you get my letters? And he says, well, yes, yes. And he goes back in his office, and he's all excited. He brings out a, a big briefcase of these letters, and uh, he says, yes, we got all your letters, and, and uh, you'll be so pleased to know that uh, we, had, 
we had weekly letter studies, and uh, most of us memorized quite a bit of it, and we split all the personnel up into small groups, and, and uh, many of them, some of them memorized complete letters, and uh, the entrepreneur says, but what did you do? Well, they studied the letters. You see, if there's no action, then you don't, there's no results, and there's no, you, you aren't being faithful. See, they, they, there was no faith in action there. They might have memorized all the letters, but if that wasn't applied to something, it was, it was worthless. Number four, remember your blessings. Just, just regularly, periodically, intentionally take some time to remember how you've been blessed. And there's a whole host of things. This could be material things. Um, this could be health. Thank God for His work in your life, in your heart. Uh, just remember, you came with nothing. All of us, you know, you were that little baby that came, and if somebody didn't take care of you, you would have nothing. You wouldn't be here today. Maybe most of all, remember what Jesus has done for you. Ephesians chapter 2. This is right after Paul says that we've been saved by grace and created unto good works. And he says, therefore, because of what has happened, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul's saying, remember this. Most of all, let's remember, as we remember our blessings, let's remember what Jesus has done for us and give him the glory. I'm sorry, I uh, lost track of time. One more, we're almost done. Just thank God. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Let's just thank God for what, what He has done for us. Just... Thank Him for being, for giving you life. <clears throat> Psalms is, is full of that again. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Two more scriptures, and I think these are profound. Ephesians 5, 18, 19, and 20. 
Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the irony of these verses, and the reason I wanted to use these verses, is because where was Paul when he wrote these? Prison. Paul was under house arrest when he wrote this, and yet he says, In all things, give thanks, be thankful. Well, I trust this morning that as we leave here, we can, be, we can have grateful hearts and be thankful. Um, just a few, few thoughts that, and I've mentioned some of these, but um, there's, Paul says there's always, always something to be thankful for. And as we're thankful, let's be intentional. Be intentional about remembering what we have to be thankful for. Even the small things. I mean, there's, there's small things every day in our life that we can be thankful for. Remember to express it and, and, and express our thanks either to God or to those around us. Lest we forget what God has done for us and we become as that salt that needs to be thrown out. Let's pray, and then I will have uh, Keith, would you close after? <clears throat> Father, thank you so much. Lord, we are grateful, and we praise you right now for what you've done for us. You have loved us. You have called us, Lord, and you call us sons. And Father, we bless you for this. Lord, right now I want to just give you thanks and praise, Father, for health. Just thank you, Lord, that you have given us houses to live in and, and clothes to wear, just everything, Father, that we use every day that we take for granted. I ask, Lord, that we could remember to, to be thankful people, Father, in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.